Hi. Today we're going to be looking at the brief for Dr. Evans' book, The Kingdom Agenda. And you should know, first off, that I'm a member of the church. Um, the next thing you should know is that Dr. Evans considers this book to be his magnus opum. And in fact, he's written a lot of books that built off of the framework that he, that he introduces in the Kingdom Agenda. So these include the Kingdom Man, the Kingdom Woman, Kingdom Child, um, etc., etc. You should also know that I'm not going to be the most objective because I am indeed a member of the church. And obviously, we love Dr. Evans a lot. What he does in this book is he, he really works from Psalms 128, is what I would say. Um, and so the psalmist in Psalms 128 writes, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. For when you eat the fruit of your labor, blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine flourishing within your house. Your sons like olive shoots sitting around your table. In this way, indeed, shall blessing come to the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, that you may see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, that you may see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And so what you see there that the psalmist said was he actually built out a four-level framework. And this is the framework that Dr. Evans works for him. On the first level of this house, we'll say, the first floor of it is the individual. And this is what everything else rests on. If the individual gets it right, then blessings are going to flow. But this is where he starts and begins. He tells you what is required of the individual uh, to be pleasing to God based on the word. And then from there, he goes on to look at the family. Well, how should the family operate to be in line with God's word? And then he goes from there to the church. What does a kingdom church look like? That is a church that's aligned with God's kingdom agenda, with God's word. And lastly, he takes it to the level of the community and government. What does government look like when it is lining up with what God puts forth in the word? And so he works and operates off of these four levels to give you a picture of how to generate blessings in your life. As a believer, he does it based on what you call covenants. A covenant in the Bible is essentially a contract, but it's not a, a deal where you sit down and sign it once and then you go away. It's something where you're in constant relationship with God and it's something where it's hierarchical. God dictates the terms of the contract. And if you do the things that he says, the if part of the if then, then you see some blessings in your life in whatever arena is being discussed. So let's dive into it, shall we? Brief one, the kingdom agenda, the individual. What should the individual be doing to live out God's kingdom agenda? Well, the first thing that you should be doing is you should be seeking to put God's kingdom first. And Jesus said it like this in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek ye first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. You should be seeking to obey him. Because when we spoke about covenants, we talked about the if-then nature of it. If you do your part, then you receive the benefits thereof. And you might say, well, where do I start? Since the Bible is a very large book. And Dr. Evans suggests you start with the Ten Commandments. Well, what are the Ten Commandments? Well, the first five relate to you and God. You might call them the vertical parts of the Ten Commandments. And they go like this. 
You shall have no other gods before him. And you should worship only him. The second is, you shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. The third is, um, you shall not worship any graven images. The fourth is, honor your father and your mother, that you may be blessed. The fifth is, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And then the second set of five in there relate to how you treat other people. So it's horizontal. And it goes like this. You shall not lie, steal, kill, covet, or commit adultery. Now, Jesus gives a a very succinct summary of these. And he says simply these two things. First, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second is like unto it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, the whole of the law is contained in these two things. Now, basically, what God is doing in giving us these choices and these commandments that we can obey or not obey, he's given us choices of twos, if you will. Two roads, Jesus spoke about, the narrow road and the broad road. The narrow road, there'll be few that find it, and that's the road that God wants us on, and that's the road of obedience. He talked about two builders. One builder who built his house on a foundation, of a solid foundation, and the second who built his foundation on sand, a shaky foundation. And the one, his house was able to withstand any storm. And that, of course, is an analogy for our lives. If we build our lives on the foundation of God's principles, God's words, then we'll be able to withstand the storms that might blow. But if we don't, then we don't have God's covenants behind us or with us, and we're in trouble. The word also speaks of two trees, that there is a tree that bears good fruit and the tree that bears bad fruit. And that you know believers by the kind of fruit that they bear. And so we want to be the ones who bear good fruit. And finally, these things all lead to two destinies. Eternal life in heaven with God, our eternal life separated from God in hell. Now the other part that is our responsibility as individuals is to pray. Because there are some things that you can't obtain in this walk upon the earth without prayer. James put it like this. He said, you have not because you ask not or because you ask amiss. And so for some things we need to ask. Dr. Evans has spoken about a conditional will and an unconditional will that God has. And so for those things that are unconditional, God is going to do those things no matter what. But some of the things that are conditional, they require prayer to receive those things. And so we want to make sure we're doing our part. We don't want to miss out on something that God intends to do because we didn't do our part, which is to pray, to involve him in everything that we're doing. And then, of course, the individual is seeking to become like Christ, to live out a God-sized kingdom agenda vision that needs God to be fulfilled. There should be something that you're seeking to be to do that God has given you that is so big that there's no way you can do it on your own.
Brief two, the family. The husband is the first role we'll look at. Dr. Evans describes him as the president of the household. And he says that to his wife, assuming he is married, that he functions as the savior, the sanctifier, the satisfier, and that he operates in submission to Jesus Christ. And he's pursuing something, a kingdom vision that's bigger than him. He also says that home is not a second job, a job prioritized lower than his other work, but actually it's equal to him in importance, if not greater in importance. Actually, he, Dr. Evans would say it's greater in importance than your primary job. How are you to achieve this prioritizing of the home? Well, the first thing he suggests is that you study your wife. So in the same way that you would study a book, you should study your wife. You should really get to know what she likes, what she dislikes, what encourages her, um, what discourages her. You should make her, you should major really in understanding her. He also suggests that you share in the duties and the work, that it can't be a thing where she's the only one slaving around the house. Um, that won't work. But that's, the duties have to be equally shared around the home. That you honor her that you take her thoughts and feelings into account in everything that you do. He also suggests praying together, husband and wife. That the husband prays his wife, that he give gifts to her, that he love her. And he suggests that the husband has to be in submission to Jesus Christ. In pursuing a kingdom vision that's bigger than himself. He, of course, has a role with children if if that applies, he says that the kingdom father should be encouraging his children. And Paul said that. Um, he told us to encourage our children. And he also says that we should be valuing them equally. And he's getting these things from the word of God, of course. Think about Joseph and how he uh, prioritized, was prioritized by uh, his father more so than the other children. And how disastrous uh, Joseph's life turned out there initially, and that of the others, the resentment that it created, all the issues that it that it drove. These are not things that we should see. God is no respecter of persons, and nor should we be respecters of our children, but we should be valuing them equally. And we should be giving them a high priority above work. And then he suggests that we do the old-fashioned practice of placing our hands on our children and blessing them in the way that was done in the Old Testament, calling forth the blessing of God on our children. In addition to that, the husband, father, has the responsibility to provide for his family. Paul said in Timothy that anyone who does not provide for his family, that they are worse than an unbeliever and they've denied the faith. And the word that's used there when it says provide is actually pronoe. And this word means to look ahead, a plan ahead. So providing is not just about putting a salary out there, but it's also about looking ahead, anticipating where the holes in the road are going to be, the bumps, and making sure your family steers around those. This, of course, is a thing that can't be done without the help of the Holy Spirit, because he is the one who tells us the things to come. So this means the father has to be a praying man filled with the Holy Spirit, in my opinion. He also tells us about the role of the wife. And Dr. Evans suggests the wife is the vice president in the home. She is to help her husband. 
She is to be looking out for the good of her husband, per Proverbs 31. And she prioritizes the home and the management of it. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5, where it tells her that she's got the ability to responsibility to manage the home, the word that's used, oikodespotis, actually means manage the home. So he's saying her first priority is to manage the home. He's not saying she can't work outside the home. But if that detracts from her ability to manage the home, then that's something that has to be thought about because her first priority is to manage the home. Uh, He says that she serves together with her husband. She sets herself up to be attractive for her husband, not just for work. Um, You know, we know that everyone dresses up and does what they have to do for work. But shouldn't be the case that the husband, the wife spends more time uh, working to please her boss from an appearance standpoint than she does her husband's. He also says that she helps him build his reputation, as is suggested by Proverbs 31. Uh, And he says the dreaded S word that she submits to her husband. But remember, her husband submits as well. He's submitting to Christ. So we have the same kind of hierarchy that we see in the Trinity, where Jesus submits to the Father and the Holy Spirit submits to Jesus. Simply, God operates in a hierarchical fashion. And this is part of it, not saying that anyone is better than anyone else, simply that for the home to function, this is how God has set it up in accordance with his word. That's what Dr. Evans is saying. And he's saying that she should have reverence for her husband, respect for him. And when she does, this is when miracles happen for the home. He talks about Zipporah as an example and how Zipporah acted when Moses was about to be killed by God. She went ahead and circumcised her son. So she did the needful so that the family could be blessed. And so this is the role of the wife. It's a big role and an important one. There's a role for the children in the family as well. And that role is to obey. In fact, what the word tells us is that in the New Testament, Paul says that children are to honor and obey their fathers and mothers, that their life may be long on the earth and blessed. So he said it's actually the first commandment with a promise. And so this is the role of the child, to obey. And he also says that when an individual fails, then it's the role of the family to take up that slack and help them. In fact, parents, what we are to do, what the Word really says about the role of the father and mother is that we are to produce godly offspring. That's his whole God's whole purpose in creating marriage. He said was that they might produce godly offspring. So we are in the factory production business, producing little believers, children in God's image. Now, part of this means that, you know, we have to instruct them and teach them. And he puts that role on the father to instruct and teach his children in the word. And so this is how Dr. Evans sees the family operating and the roles that he sees that align us with God's word and therefore with God's blessings. Brief three, the church. So what's the role of the church in the kingdom agenda? Dr. Evans would say it's to take up the slack when the family can't do it. That's part of it. I'd give a couple of examples that I believe he mentioned in the book. One of them is a young man who, had lived with a single mother and he was giving her all sorts of trouble. And in fact, she he refused to obey her. And so what happened was they brought her to 
some deacons in the church, had a bunch of rather large brothers in the church uh, to confront this young man, set him in front of him, talked about what he had done. And the direction coming from the leaders of the church was very simple. We will bring you in here and we will whip your behind if you don't do what you're supposed to do. Now, this goes right along with the family where part of it is discipline, the role, but part of the role is to love the children as well, right? It's love and discipline always. And so here, you know, the family couldn't do it, but the church could step in and fill the gap. Another example kind of comes from the other direction. A young man was being tried by a judge because he'd stolen $1,500 from his employer. And so the church's thing was, hey, look, judge, why find him guilty? $1,500 infraction. By the time you you jail him, you'll be spending 18000 per year to incarcerate him. Let us have him. And this is what we'll do. We'll help him find a job. We'll mentor him to keep that job. We'll garnish his check to pay back the, the people that he stole it from. And we'll get him on the road to being a productive life, a productive citizen and a productive life rather than being someone who takes from society. The judge agreed with it, gave it to the child, to them, the young man. And it worked out exactly as they told the judge that it would. And he also cites the role that Paul cites in the word. Paul cites that the church should be the place that believers bring their disputes as opposed to a a community judge or something out there with non-believers. And so he says churches should have set up uh, some sort of role, a judge, a judicial role where they can have facilitate binding arbitration. And the reason for this, again, is because it's commanded in the Bible that we not that we be able to settle these things ourselves. Paul basically said, do you know not know that you're going to judge angels? And so he says, why then can you not settle these things amongst yourself? Because what he's saying is we are setting a bad example to the world and not fulfilling our role as the church when we take our issues and problems outside the church for them to solve. He also cites uh, examples such as divorce, uh, as well as marriage. You shouldn't just get tied up in the church, but also should be the place where you come for uh, decisions on divorce as well, things along those nature. He says it's a place where people grow together. You know, Paul described in Ephesians that the church is the place. He said that the body, it all grows together. No part can grow without all parts of the body growing. Can you imagine one tiny part of the body growing, you know, and uh, one leg growing and another leg not growing. You know, that's not the way that it works. We grow together uh, so that we can serve the function that God created the church to serve, i.e. to bring people to know him, to bring people to serve him, and to bring us together into the unity of the faith. He says it's a place where we serve. So the place where our gifts you know, are used for the glory of God, where those are determined um, and services, I would describe it as one of the spiritual disciplines. We are called to serve. And there is a great joy in serving and helping other believers and helping even non-believers uh, to grow, to come to know God if they don't know him. Believers to grow in God. There is a great joy in serving. And part of what we're to do, Jesus served. Right? He washed the disciples' feet. And he said, let the greatest amongst you let him be a servant. A place where people fellowship. A place where we come together 
uh, to enjoy each other's company, one with another. And he speaks of, you know, how can light fellowship with darkness? And what he's saying is, you know, we can have fellowship light with light. Hence, the part of the church and the point of the church. He also talks about the importance of church leadership. It's not just a place where a single person, you know, rules. He gives the example of Moses, and you see the same thing happening with the early church in Acts, that they were overwhelmed by the responsibilities. It was too much for any one person. And so what did Jethro tell Moses? He told him to go and find people to help him with making these decisions because he was getting worn out making decisions from sunup to sundown. And the same thing happened in the book of Acts. They were wanting to focus on praying, studying the word, and teaching the word. And they were having to take time out with other matters. And so they appointed seven deacons to help them to take care of those other matters. And so it should be with the church today, according to Dr. Evans. It shouldn't just be one person, the pastor, but it should be a group of people who are helping to lead the church in a direction that's godly. And that's all part of God's kingdom agenda for the church. And it should be a place where people give. Disciplined, regular giving, as Paul cited, when he spoke to the church of Corinthians, he told them to take up a regular offering every week to set aside something you know, for this. And that should be proportional, you know, that you give in accordance with what you, what you have. And then he also said, part of what you get out of giving He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive, is what the word said. And so there's a blessing in giving. And then it's a place where people are discipled. So what do we mean by that? This is the place where people see mature believers. And Paul had instructions for mature believers, that they were to be examples for the younger believers, the mature men, the mature women, that they were help. the mature women were to help the younger women to learn how to love their husbands and their children. And so it's a place where people come to actually see and receive discipling that they can grow into the believers that God would have them to be. And the church plays a key role in God's kingdom agenda. Brief four, the community and government at all levels. So how does Dr. Evans see the government? He sees it as a referee to keep things fair and just. As an example, you might think about the role of large companies in antitrust law in keeping a company from becoming too dominant where it can actually misuse its power. I think that Dr. Evans would say that that is an appropriate role of government. A verse that he that is referenced is Micah, where Micah tells us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. And this is something that applies to government in particular that it should be an administer of justice without respect to person, that it should be fair in all of its dealings, that it should make sure that the marketplace is fair and honest, that the scales are basically balanced, right? Not unfairly weighed one way or another. And so he talks about how part of justice and what we see in the Bible is we see that justice revolves around making restitution. A lot of it in terms of in providing appropriate punishment when folks do wrong. Just as the family is to discipline a child, um, you know, as it says, spare the rod and spoil the child. Uh, you know, if you beat your child, they will not die. 
many things that it says, but, you know, certainly discipline along with love is what we're to do with children. And similarly here, basically four different forms. First would be restitution as far as God's way of dealing with uh, problems when folks do break the law or commit an injustice. One would be capital punishment. Uh, One would be corporal punishment. And one would be economic punishment. So payment of a fine, you know, but the big thing is your restitution to God. Like in some instances like murder, you know, there isn't any amount of money you can give someone to make up for the loss of life. And so that's restitution to God. And the pastor would definitely be in favor of capital punishment in those situations. Now, he would say that long-term incarceration is not biblical because there's nowhere in the Bible that you find that. He sees it as expensive, wasteful, and non-biblical, out of line with God's kingdom agenda for, the, for governments and communities. He believes that government should be small because if everybody else is doing their roles, and that is if the individual is self-governing, if the family is creating children who are able to be self-governing, if the church is creating strong families that are able to, to govern and manage themselves, then there won't be much left for the government to do. And he believes that's how it should be. Um, today, however, he sees the government as having to do some things like educate our children that we should be doing. That's the responsibility of the home, the family, in particular the father, is to instruct the children in the ways of the Lord, to teach them scripture to teach them as they go in, to teach them as they come out, as they go about the way. that That's the father's responsibility and the responsibility of the home, not the government. And his point is, if you ask the government to do all these other things, then you have to pay the government to do all those things. He believes that a constitutional democracy is probably the best form of government uh, from a human perspective. Obviously, the best form of government is when God reigns, but it'll be a while before they, we see that yet. And so in the meantime, he's in favor of a constitutional democracy where not just the majority rule, but there is a constitution that holds them in check. So if the majority gets it wrong, the constitution can hold them back. You can tell that he believes it exists to promote, uh, create and exist, ultimately, the individual being able to self-govern. And part of that is putting penalties out there that make it too expensive you know, to do wrong. And the rules, of course, are based upon God's biblical rules, which all of these fears operate from the Bible in Dr. Evans' book, The Kingdom Agenda. That is the ideal way that everything should function in accord with God's word. And the whole point of the law, Paul said, is to limit evil. You don't need it for folks who are believers who are going to do good. The law is needed for those who are going to do evil. And the churches can be a part of this. And so There are many things that the church can do that currently society does. They can help families with aid. You know, when when their family can't do it, then the church can step in and help families to get up to the point where they can be self-governing so they can step in and help them with money for a time, help them find a job, and help them to become self-managing, help them understand the Lord and get where they need to be. And they can do these things that we spoke about where the church can actually take some of the judicial function as well. Um, And then, of course, the church can take up the functions of building up, you know, communities and and doing a lot of education as well. So he sees the church playing its role effectively as being a vital part of government being able to do their role effectively. And so that's Dr. Evans's view of the government. If a government doesn't function according to God's kingdom agenda, 
if the church is not playing its proper role in the community, um, if we're not being salt and light, people can't see, you know, the what a true justice looks like, what a true believer looks like, what true morality looks like, then that that government, that civilization is destined to fall, according to Dr. Evans. We don't want to be that community, that government. So we want to play our role. Brief five, key takeaways for action as a believer. So here are the things that I got from reading the book that I would suggest we can do as believers to enhance our walk with Christ. The first thing is that we can put God first. And we should be keeping in mind at all times that we're going to be judged at the end of our lives at the Bema seat of Christ by fire. And so God is going to take all the things that we've done. He's going to try them by fire. And only the things that come through that fire are going to be the things that we're going to be rewarded for. We should also obey his word. We'll be blessed for doing it. This is a key point in what Dr. Evans is saying. We should be praying believers because those things that come as a result of God's conditional will, we should want to be in on those things. We should run our families in a biblical way. We should be teaching them the word. We shouldn't be sparing the rod. We need to understand that our children need both love and discipline. We need to pray for them and with them and let our prayers be heard by them as well as God. We need to handle our finances based on basically the principles of give, then save, then spend. Where we give first to God and then we save and spending is the last of our priorities. We need to attend a church that operates in alignment with the word. And we need to be contributing in line with the word where it tells us to honor the Lord with our wealth and from the first of all of our produce. Our giving should be proportional. Our giving should be systematically in accordance with Paul, what Paul told the church. You know, Paul said this, he said, let each one give as they decide in their heart for God loves a cheerful giver. And he also said, let each one lay aside something at the uh, beginning of every of every week, right? So proportional, systematic. And then he also suggests that we should be wanting to serve. And I would agree. As I say, Jesus said, let those amongst you who would be great, let them serve. And that was what his whole life here was about. He was about being servant. When the disciples asked him who amongst them would be the greatest, he said he brought a child and he said, let the one who serves, uh, they will be the greatest. He himself then got down and washed their feet to demonstrate that it's service, not lording it over people, that makes you great in his church. We always should also tell folks why when we can't do something because the Bible tells us we can't do it. We should say so. We shouldn't be undercover believers. We, this is what Dr. Evans would call carrying our cross. We have to be out there letting folks know that we are Christians, that we identify with Christ. We need to be esteeming our leaders and obeying them, as again, Paul said. And we need to play a role in the community. Remember, we're salt and we're light. And so without salt, the community won't be preserved. And without light, it'll be a dark place with no hope. So we are to show off God's law at work, how we live and what we do in the greater community and in government. And some more of us should seek to work in government if that's the call God has on us and in law as well. 
We should live out God's principles of honesty in the marketplace. People in our jobs should see how we work and what we do. And we should be working as unto the Lord. So our work should always be, a, you know, with everything that we have in us because we're working enthusiastically for the Lord. Now, we should also understand that the real purpose of wealth, should God grant that to us, however much or how little we have, it's really to bless someone else. The word tells us it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we should really live by that because we can't store up earthly treasure. We've got to store up treasure in heaven. And we got to think about the fact that we're running a race and we need to finish that race. God is going to judge us whether or not we finished it and how much treasure we have in heaven. It's what's going to matter for eternity, not how much we set aside here, because that we're going to leave behind. Someone once said, wealth is a a great servant, but a very poor master. And and Paul said in Timothy that, you know, by it, folks have encountered many sorrows and they pierced themselves through. So it's not a great thing, you know, to be living life seeking wealth. Rather, we should be seeking to fulfill God's purposes. So what are the top three takeaways, I'd say? The first is this, that as a believer, as a kingdom believer, you should be seeking from God a vision that is God-sized. What is it that he has for you to do that's so big you need him to be a part of it to get done? The second thing is you're going to have to be a praying believer in order to do that. And so I would say you've got to pray. And then the third takeaway I would say from his book and system for the individual believer is this that you've got to live your life and run your family and look for a church and a community that runs affairs in accordance with the Word of God. May God bless you. Hi, thank you for listening to this brief. We have plenty more at christianbrief.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-B-R-I-E-F.com. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And hope you check out some of the other briefs at christianbrief.com.